All right. Uh, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to Citizens. I uh, just want to welcome you again, especially if you're new or visiting for the first time. Uh, my name is Jason. I have the privilege of serving uh, as one of the pastors on staff uh, here at the church. Um, if you've been with us, uh, you know that we are right now in a year-long kind of, uh, we we've kind of given our church a year-long focus on a spirit-filled life. And so every sermon series is going to kind of move, um, move us toward what a spirit-filled life looks like. Um, so if you have your Bibles, we're actually launching a new series today on the fruit of the Spirit. If you want to turn with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 5, uh, we're going to be looking at verses 16 to 25. And if you can choose your translation, uh, I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, the ESV. Um, Galatians chapter 5 verses 16 to 25 and something we're going to do throughout this sermon series so um, we as a church want to encourage more kind of participation um, in our worship service so um, this is actually going to be our anchoring text every single Sunday for the next 10 weeks and um, when we get to verses 22 to 25 um, I want to read that in unison together um, as a church and but hopefully by the end of the 10 weeks um, we'll kind of have memorized um, those verses um, that that will those verses will kind of be um, resonating with us throughout the week um, throughout the months um, as we continue to go through this so I'll read this for us together and when we get to verse 22 um, I'll signal us and we'll read 22 to 25 uh, together in one voice okay Galatians chapter 5 verses 16 to 25 this is the reading of God's word. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let's read this part together. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let me say a prayer for us. And we'll get started. Spirit, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. May every word that comes forth today uh, be from your heart, that ultimately would communicate uh, your great love for your people. We thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, uh, like I mentioned, I'm very excited to launch a new sermon series at our church on the fruits of the Spirit. And, um, you know, as you know, a big, the big focus for our year has been a Spirit-filled life, 
right? What it looks like to cultivate a life that is open to the Spirit's transforming work in and through us. And we've made this our theme this year uh, to actively resist a cultural narrative that is constantly telling us that the good life equals making a certain amount of money, that the good life uh, equals having a certain kind of lifestyle, that the good life is about getting married and having kids by a certain age. And, and you know, we feel like the more you buy into this cultural narrative that we're constantly being bombarded with on a daily basis, only one of two things can result. Either you're gonna exhaust yourself trying to achieve this life, only to end up more anxious, more bitter, more resentful, more dissatisfied when, when you can't quite get it. Or two, uh, you're just gonna mail it in and give up, believing that your life has no meaning or purpose because it doesn't look like X, Y, or Z. And the sad reality is that I think for a lot of us, this is what living looks like. You know, this is what we see as living, but when Jesus comes on the scene, and he says, I came that they may have life and life abundantly. What he's saying is that the very reason I came is so you wouldn't have to live like that anymore. The very reason I came is so that you wouldn't have to constantly wonder where you stand. The reason I came is so that you wouldn't have to keep chasing things that ultimately won't satisfy you. The very reason I came is so that you would have a life of meaning and purpose. And he's saying, if you just let me in, you're gonna have immediate access to all the joy, the love, peace, satisfaction that your heart desperately craves, but you have to let me in. And this is what we're focusing on this year as a church. How do we let the Spirit in? How do we create space for the Spirit to cultivate in all of us the life Jesus intended us to live? If you are here with us last week, DC wrapped up our six-week series on the Holy Spirit. Uh, and the purpose of that series was really to provide us with a general framework for who the Holy Spirit is and how the Spirit works in the life of a believer, right? And, and we felt like it was really important for us to start with that because you can't even talk about what a Spirit-filled life looks like unless you first understand who the Holy Spirit is, right? And so the series we're launching today on the fruit of the Spirit is going to kind of build on that as we start to think about, well, okay, if this is who the Holy Spirit is, what kind of a life does the Spirit in us produce, right? And I think DC segued us really well into this new series because last week he talked about sanctification. This idea that salvation is not just this one-time transaction that saves us from hell, but that salvation is a lifelong relationship with Jesus. Salvation is a lifelong process of getting to know Jesus and experiencing more fully his love for us. Right? Put another way, the gospel isn't just the good news that we are free people. The gospel is the good news that every day God is showing us how to live more deeply into that freedom. Right? On July uh, 24, 2015, I became a father. Okay? It was a day that changed my life forever. Right? Nothing will take that identity away. But at the same time, I think dads in the room will understand what I mean when I say every day I'm still learning how to live more deeply into that identity. So I'm already a father, but every day I'm becoming a father. In the same way, we are free in Christ, and yet every day we're being freed in Christ. Does that make sense? Right? Follow me there? Now, we didn't read this at the beginning of Galatians 5, but the Apostle Paul frames everything he talks about in this chapter 
through the lens of freedom. And I'll put Galatians 5, verse 1 up on the screen. But in verse 1, Paul says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Christ set us free so that we could actually be free and not be burdened again by slavery. Meaning, there is a way for us to technically be free and yet still think and live as though we're slaves. You can have an identity and yet not live fully into that identity. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, my son, who is four years old, Jack, I put him in a timeout, right? And I told him, go to your room and don't come out for 10 minutes, okay? And 40 minutes go by and I don't hear anything, so I go up to the room and he's still in there. I'm like, what are you doing still in there? You're, and he's like, well, you told me I'm in a timeout. I said, well, your timeout was over 30 minutes ago. And he was like, well, I don't know how to read time. And, and I was like, oh, you're right, okay. Touche there, right? And um, he's like, I don't know how to read time. And I was like, oh, sorry. Like, your, time, your timeout was over 30 minutes ago, right? And these days, he's been into this thing where he, he calls me bro. So he's like, are you serious, bro? He's like... Like, I could have been playing for 30 minutes right now. And, and you know, I, I mean, it was good for me, but I'm, I was like, sorry. You know, and in the same way, right, it's one thing to be a prisoner, right? It's a completely other thing to be free and still think you're a prisoner, to still think and be in a prisoner's mindset. It's one thing to be free and yet still live enslaved. And there are so many of us in this room who I think would say we believe that Jesus died for all of our shortcomings and mistakes and freed us from the condemnation of sin and death once and for all. But I would say there are still many of us who still live like we're condemned. We still live our lives as though we have something to prove, that we have to be better. We still live our lives to, to appease the voice in our heads that says we're not good enough. We still live our lives as though what Jesus did on the cross wasn't enough. I think there are many of us who would say we believe nothing can separate us from the love of God we have in Christ Jesus, and yet a lot of us still live our lives as though we're unloved or undeserving of love. We stay in toxic relationships that we shouldn't be in. We still seek external accomplishments and popularity to get people to like and respect us. We still live like prisoners, even though we're free. And I'm telling you, sometimes we get so accustomed to life in a prison cell that even freedom looks strange to us. Even freedom doesn't make sense to us. And the passage I said we're looking at today, which is going to be our anchoring text for the next 10 weeks, Paul says that in the life of every believer, there are two opposing forces, the flesh and the spirit the flesh which tries to keep you in a mindset of bondage and the spirit who is always moving you toward the freedom you have in christ now i mentioned this a few weeks ago um, in my sermon around spiritual warfare but paul here is not equating the flesh to our literal physical bodies right he's not saying the body is bad the spirit is good i think a lot of us grew up in churches that kind of unintentionally or intentionally taught this 
weird Gnostic theology that said that everything pertaining to our physical bodies was bad and sinful and something you should be ashamed about and which, you know, caused purity culture. And there's a lot of things I could say about how damaging that kind of theology was. Many of us grew up believing that because of that, like sex was this dirty, shameful thing rather than as a gift given to us by God to be enjoyed in a very specific context. So I want to make that clear that Paul here isn't talking about the flesh in a literal sense, but he's talking about it in a, in a figurative theological sense to describe the fallen nature of humanity. He's talking about our desires and our affections that were disordered by the fall that kind of became our default setting. They became the default setting of the heart. You know, um, I know a lot of us maybe are, uh, are too young to... Uh, remember when HD TVs came about? You're like, there was a time when you know things weren't in HD. Yes, there was. Okay, and and I think like um, you know if you remember when HD TVs first came on the scene, it was like we were seeing things for the first time, right? We were seeing in colors we had never seen before. All the detail details were super vibrant. We were noticing things about sports and movies that we never saw before. Right, but I don't know if some of you remember, and I, I myself was included, when HDTVs first came on the scene, a lot of people didn't like it because things looked too real, right? Like you were like, oh, I'm not used to like watching, like I, I'm not used to like seeing all the details of like the athletes who are playing right now, you know? Like, you know, thing, everything looked really real. And so we reverted back to the dull setting on our TV, even though it was way worse. And this is very similar to what's happening in the human heart, right? The gospel enters our lives. We experience the gospel, internalize the gospel, and all of a sudden we start to see ourselves, the world, and other people in new colors. We start to see things with detail that we never knew before. Certain things like our minds, it's like completely changed the way we view everything. And yet there's this constant pull toward our default setting. There's this constant pull of the flesh trying to get us back to the default setting of the flesh. John Tyson, who is a pastor out in New York, uses the metaphor of two operating systems at war within us. One that is constantly seeking to pull us away from God and one that is teaching us to use the access, to, to, to access the resources of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, moving us toward a life with God. And the Apostle Paul here is telling us in our text today that you will know what default setting you're in. You will know what the operating system of your life is, the flesh or the spirit, based on the fruit your life produces. Okay, and I'm going to put verses 19 uh, to 23 back up on the screen. But in verse 19, Paul says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. But then he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control what paul is trying to say is that at the end of the day it doesn't really matter who you say you believe because who you believe or what you believe will inevitably 
manifest in your life. It will inevitably manifest by the results that your life produces. You know, it's been a while since I've been to the dentist, and I hate going to the dentist um, because I know the dentist is going to tell me that I haven't been flossing, okay? Um, I'm sorry, okay? Confession time. I don't really floss, okay? Um, but the night before I have a dentist appointment, I'm like flossing really, really hard. Like my gums are bleeding, and I'm like, because I don't want to go to the dentist, and I don't want him to say. I don't want him to give me that disappointed look that he always gives me, right? And so I'm doing my best, I'm flossing, I'm brushing my teeth, I'm like, I'm doing everything. Will I go to the dentist the next day? And lo and behold, he gives me that disappointed look. He's like, you haven't been flossing, have you? And I'm like, how do you know? How do you always know? And he, he's like, because your teeth looks like the teeth of someone who doesn't floss. And he's like, it doesn't matter if you floss the night before. It doesn't matter if you change your behavior once in a while. It's so evident to me when you're not flossing. We are not fooling anyone. Your behavior can change once in a while. You may stay away from some of the works of the flesh once in a while. But at the end of the day, our lives will be crystal clear. Our lives will be evident to those around us whether we are operating by the spirit or whether we are operating by the flesh. And we have to be really honest with ourselves. Which list of Paul's that I just read characterizes your life more? The works of the flesh or the fruit of the spirit? When you look at your life, be honest. What do you see more of? Do you see more of envy, jealousy, rage, drunkenness, hatred, dissension? Or do you see more gentleness, love, peace, patience? Because if we are walking in step with the Spirit, Paul is saying your life will bear a very specific kind of fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. You know what I think is very interesting about both of these lists, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. The thing I think is very interesting is eight out of the 15 things Paul lists as works of the flesh and five out of the nine fruit of the Spirit all have to do with the way we treat other people. They all have to do with relationships. So you may think you are operating by one, by the flesh or by the, or you may think you're operating by the Spirit but we should ask the people closest in your life as to whether or not you are operating by the spirit or the flesh. Because Paul is saying, look, you will see where you will see the spirit or the flesh manifest primarily in your life and your heart is in your relationships. It's in the way you treat the people in your life. You cannot say you think your relationship with God is healthy and then turn around and talk bad behind your brother or sister behind their back. It doesn't make sense for you to say you think your relationship with God is really healthy and then turn around and go on an angry tirade every time someone pisses you off on social media. Because the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit are primarily manifested in our relationships. Paul is saying, look, 
there is a way the world responds to people and circumstances, and there is a way Christians should respond to people and circumstances. And the question is, do our responses look more like the world's responses, or do they look different? Because that will tell you whether or not you are operating by the flesh or by the spirit, if you are living in bondage or if you are living in freedom. Now, for the next nine weeks, we're going to look at each of the fruit of the Spirit through this lens of freedom. So today, the sermon title is called Spirit, Freedom from the Flesh. But starting next week, we're going to start looking at each of the nine fruit, right? Next week, we're going to look at love as being freedom from selfishness. And then we're going to look at joy as being freedom from hopelessness. And then peace as freedom from anxiety and so forth. And we're using this motif not only because Paul uses it himself, but also because I think freedom is an important word in our day and age, okay? Um, many of you all heard about the great resignation that happened during the pandemic. Many of you were a part of the great resignation. And it was basically this trend that happened in America of people just leaving their jobs, leaving their careers, sometimes with no backup option whatsoever. And there were a lot of articles written about it. And what they are finding more than ever, and especially in Gen Z, is this desire for freedom, okay? Gen Z especially, but I think, you know, in general, people now more than ever want freedom. They want freedom to choose where and when they work. They want flexibility. They don't want to be tied down to one company or one industry. This is why freelancing is so huge right now. People want options. Right? Whereas I would say millennials and Gen Xers really sought to find meaning and purpose in work, what I'm seeing in the younger generation and Gen Z is what they want more than anything is freedom. They actually don't want work to interfere with the things they want to do. They have certain things they want to do in life. They want to go on certain trips, have vacations, experience certain things. And as long as work doesn't interfere with that, I'm good. Right? And, and so we're intentionally using this motif of freedom um, because I think this is something that is going to resonate very much with our culture, with the culture that we're living in. And I think for a lot of us who grew up in the church, we've kind of gotten it into our minds that following Jesus means that our freedom gets taken away. I think there's this prevailing mindset in the church that the Christian life is, being, is something that takes away our freedom. Following Jesus means I now have to give up the things that I really want to do. Following Jesus means I have to now give up football on Sunday mornings. Following Jesus means I can't just sleep with whoever I want to sleep with. Following Jesus means I can't just spend my money the way I want to. And we have this paradigm that Jesus came to kind of restrict us. When in reality, everything that Jesus said he said to set us free. What Jesus wants to do more than anything is to give us the things we're so desperately seeking in all these other avenues. Jesus wants to show us that you don't need money to be happy, to be free. What Jesus is saying is you don't need to do all these things. You don't need to perform. You don't need a certain follower account. You don't have to be captive to fear and anxiety and resentment anymore. He wants us to be free. To be free to live the way we were created to live. He wants us to be healthy, whole human beings. And what Paul is saying here in Galatians 5 
is that if you want to know if you're healthy and whole, this list of nine fruit is the litmus test. This is the litmus test. You know, I think it's very funny that a lot of times we platform leaders in the church based on their intelligence, their charisma, and their giftedness. Last time I checked, there are none of the fruit of the Spirit, say the fruit of the Spirit is knowledge, good communication skills, or organizational leadership. You see, we're using all the wrong metrics to gauge ourselves and others. At the end of the day, Jesus literally could care less how many books you've read, how much theology you know, how gifted you are. Jesus could care less. He wants to know, are you a gentle person? Jesus could care less how dynamic of a leader you are. He wants to know, are you patient with the people who annoy you? But you see, because we've been using all the wrong metrics to gauge ourselves and others, it's no wonder we have such a hard time properly gauging the health of our churches. You know, these days I've been telling a lot of people outside of our church that we're moving to two services, and they say, oh man, God must be working there, because you're growing in number. Great job. They ask questions like, how many people are coming to your services now? How big is your budget? How efficient are your operations? As though these things will tell you how spirit-filled a church is. When's the last time someone asked, do the people who come to, the, to your church, after a year of being a part of this community, display a greater love and compassion and care for one another? Are people less abrasive and harsh? Do the staff and, and leaders create a non-anxious presence? These are the questions we should be asking of the church and of ourselves. Now, quick caveat. I think it's easy to hear this and say, well, what if you're just naturally like a more kind, gentle, soft-spoken, meek person? Right? What if you're just naturally more self-controlled? Does that mean like you're more filled with the Spirit like, this list feels like it discriminates against Enneagram 8s, you know, because, like, they're just naturally a little more aggressive. Like, what the heck? You know, like, if, it feels like if you're an Enneagram 2 or 9, this list is great for you. They must be more filled with the Spirit, right? And it's a great question. And one thing I want you to notice is that when the Apostle Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, in the Greek, the word fruit is singular, Okay, I think a lot of times when we teach this in Sunday school, you'll hear people say the fruits of the Spirit, like they're separate fruits, right? But it's singular. It's not nine fruits. It's nine fruit. He doesn't say the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and so forth, meaning he's not talking about nine separate traits or characteristics, but nine aspects of one fruit, nine aspects of the character of Christ that are deposited into us by the grace of God. And this means you can't have one trait and not have the other. You can't grow in one trait and not have the other. You can't naturally have a few of the fruit and not have the other ones. Right? Because you can naturally be a very loyal, faithful person. Right? But if you're always judging and condemning the people who are always late for meetings, that's not the fruit of the Spirit. Okay? You're just like probably a natural duty fulfiller. Okay? You might naturally be a very gentle, meek, soft-spoken person. 
But if you look at the people who are like super aggressive and you think you're better than them because you're not screaming all the time, that's not the fruit of the Spirit. Because the fruit of the Spirit, you can't grow in gentleness and self-righteousness at the same time. You see, there are things that are a natural wiring, but what we're talking about here is a supernatural reality. One fruit with nine attributes that grow together. Okay, so I want to make that clear. Now the question still remains, how do we then cultivate this fruit in our lives? Right, because anytime you hear a teaching on the fruit of the Spirit, sometimes the tendency is to go, okay, so this week, do I just have to like not be anxious? And do I just try to be more at peace? Do I just grit my teeth and like hold my tongue and just try, to, try harder to be gentle? Well, Paul's use of words here is very interesting, okay? So some of you know, in a different life, I, I used to be a teacher. And like, I, not to be the grammar police on the Apostle Paul, but the first time I read this text, I was like, mm, it's bad, poor grammar, right? Because Paul doesn't use like parallel metaphors, okay? Parallelism is very important, okay? Um, and, you know, I'm like, okay, he said works of the flesh, and then he said fruit of the spirit. Why did he not use the same metaphor? He should have said fruit of the flesh and fruit of the spirit, or he should have said works of the flesh and works of the spirit. Why would you say the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. But the more you read this text and the more you understand what Paul is trying to convey, you realize that small, subtle nuance is extremely intentional. He's saying, when you're living by the flesh, you're always working. Your whole life is about striving. It's about proving yourself. The works of the flesh are the things we do to try to satisfy ourselves. And the fruit of the Spirit is something that is done to us. The fruit of the Spirit is something the Spirit produces in us. You know, one of my good friends, uh, after graduation, uh, he lived in LA, and after graduation, he decided to go live on a farm for a year, okay? And he said, you know, I said, what, do, what, what made you do that? And he said, you know, I, it's just LA life is just too crazy for me. Like, I, it just feels like everyone around me is running at 100 miles an hour. And like, I wasn't ready to go straight, like to like dive headfirst into that after graduation. So he had a couple friends who, who owned a farm and in the middle of nowhere. And he decided to go there and spend an entire year with them. And he came back and he said, this was one of the most enriching experiences of my life because it taught me so much about my relationship with God. It taught me so much about the art of dependence. And I was like, explain that. And he said, well, in LA, everyone is just striving and working and busy to try to make a name for themselves. But he said, you know what I noticed about farmers? Farmers, more than anyone, understand their limitations and they understand the gift of dependence. And he said, farmers, more than anyone will tell you that they cannot will crops to grow by their own strength. They can't do it, and they understand that. They know that their role is simply to create the best kind of environment, the best kind of ecosystem, and then let the sun and the rain do the rest. They understand that they can't will it on their own. All they do is create an environment for the sun and the rain to do what the sun and the rain does. 
Let me put it like this. My uh, college pastor used to give this analogy all the time. He used to say, when we live by the flesh, it's like we're taking a rowboat out into the ocean, thinking if we just paddle hard enough, we can get to our destination, right? And I think that characterizes a lot of our lives right now. We're in that rowboat. There's like a destination we want to go, some vision of the good life, and we're just paddling as hard as we can, make more money, right? Climb the social ladder, do more, be better, be a better mother, be a better father, son, daughter, sister, brother, friend, paddle, paddle, paddle. And at some point, all of us experience a moment in our lives when we look around, we're exhausted, we're burnt out, we're anxious, we're lonely, and we realize we've barely moved. Because you can't get anywhere in a rowboat. And my pastor used to say, living by the Spirit is like taking a sailboat out into the ocean. And the difference between a sailboat and a rowboat, it's not that you, don't have, you just sit there and don't do anything. But when you take a sailboat out into the ocean, it's not about how hard and fast you can paddle. It's about positioning ourselves in a way so that the sails catch the wind. And you let the wind do the rest. Living by the Spirit means every day we are fighting to position ourselves to catch the movement of the Holy Spirit so that He can take us where we need to go. It means fighting to create space in our lives to abide in Him, to meditate on His Word, to delight in His presence. One of the reasons we are doing things like our monthly abide gatherings, because we want to do that as a church. In this city where on Friday nights there are a million things you can be doing, we want to fight as a church to position ourselves in a place to create space for the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does. And I guarantee you, if you're willing to do this, if you're willing to submit and surrender to the Spirit, you will watch the wind do what the wind does. And so the question you and I should be asking ourselves every day is this. Have we organized our lives in such a way that creates an environment in which the Holy Spirit loves to dwell? What kind of an ecosystem do our habits and rhythms cultivate? If I, if I polled everyone in this room and I said, who here wants to be less anxious, every hand would be raised. I think a lot of us would also believe that Jesus on the cross died so that we could be free of our anxiety. But I'm going to tell you this, we will never be able to live into that freedom. We will never be able to live into that reality unless we start doing something about the things in our lives that are giving us anxiety. Unless we start to pull away from habits and rhythms that give us anxiety and unless we start to make room for the Spirit. Because if we just make room, if we would just raise the sails, God will do the rest. He will take us where, he, where, where we need to go. He promises it. Philippians 1.6 says, He who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And I think this is so important for us as we launch this series. We have to understand, for those who have placed their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, these nine fruit are not somewhere out there we have to go get. It's not like we have to go seek and find love. All of it is already in us because Christ lives in us. Now, for some of us, 
these fruit may still be in seed form and they need to be nurtured they need to be watered but notice what paul says in verse 16 he says but i say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh not you might not you may not not this will help you there is a certainty in paul's tone that if you surrender to the spirit you absolutely will not gratify the desires of the flesh you absolutely will see the fruit of the spirit growing in you and i want to emphasize this for us this morning and i'll close by saying this every person sitting in this room i would say falls into one of two categories of people for some of you there is someone in your life right now who you're struggling with who you believe cannot change a friend a spouse a parent a child and you're here and you've given up or on, are on the verge of giving up because this person or these people keep disappointing you they keep failing to meet your expectations for others of us that person in your life who you're struggling with who you believe cannot change is yourself you're sitting here because you're still dealing with the same issues you dealt with five, seven, ten years ago. You still feel enslaved to the same habits and addictions and mindsets. You keep hearing the same things about yourself from other people who tell you they've been hurt by you. And maybe you're sitting here now on the verge of giving up on yourself. And what Paul wants every believer to understand here in Galatians 5, and what I hope, if there's anything you take away from this series, is that nobody is outside the grace of God. There is nobody that God cannot change by the power of His Spirit. Because change is not something we work for. Change is, is a gift. Transformation is a gift given to us by the holy spirit if we would just surrender our lives to him christ died so that we would know that there is absolutely nothing that can separate us from his love christ died so that we would know that there is nobody ourselves included beyond his reach christ died so that we would never give up on ourselves or on those around us because he didn't give up on us paul says in verse 24 and those who belong to christ jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires may we know that the flesh no longer has any power over us there are going to be days and maybe the moment you leave here you're going to feel that default setting of the flesh start to pull you in its direction but may we look at the cross may we look at jesus christ and know that the flesh ultimately has no real power over us and may we learn to not just know that we're free but to live like we're free as well let's pray Lord, I sense that there are so many of us in this room who are still living 
in bondage. That even for those of us who know, who believe that nothing can separate us from your love, oftentimes the way we operate and the way our minds work and the way we treat people and the way we approach relationships is as though we are still condemned, as though we're not good enough, as though we're not worthy. And Lord, I ask that you would remind us today that we are free in Christ and that we can live as free people. Lord, I pray for the Holy Spirit to continue the work you've already started in our church. I can just sense that the Spirit is up to something. And I pray that throughout this series, you would begin to loosen the chains that keep us, that hold us hostage, that hold us, uh, that, that, that keep us bounded to the flesh. That our church would be a church that begins to embody the character of Christ, that begins to embody love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentle, gentleness, and self-control that we would be a church marked by these things. We thank you for this word. Would you continue to plant um, the good news of the gospel deep within our souls this morning? We lift this time up to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.